What the fuck is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Long Game Dynasty podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about Dynasty fantasy football. I'm your host, Tarek Angry T. Benchuya. With me today, for the first time in a few weeks, Trey Cryan and Mitch Yates. Trey, uh, we... We've kind of been uh, absent, you know, we've been absentee hosts, but uh, how you been, man? It's good to be back. It's good to be back. It's been a, definitely a crazy fantasy season so far. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but uh, starting to feel a little bit of the uh, bye week and uh, injury trouble on some of the squads uh, through uh, the end of uh, week six here. So uh, it's definitely getting into crunch time and uh, putting some of these contending rosters to the test. But uh, it's fun, man. It's what we play for. And uh, it's been a fun season so far. Yeah, Mitch, this is one of those times of the year I feel like when you do have a rebuilding roster and like the injuries start rolling in, you're kind of like, man, I'm glad I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, my rebuilders have probably been the most fun teams I've had this year because let's just say I've been echoing process over results uh, a lot to myself <laughs> here. Uh, it's It's been rough for some of my squads that I thought were contenders that certainly are far from it now. Well, hey, uh, I today uh, sold Eno Benjamin for a third and a fourth. You oh, know, well done. I sold Michael Gallup yesterday for a second. You know, these are the the rebuilding, you know, moves that you can make when you don't give a shit. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's been pretty nice. Uh, but like Trey said, you know, it's it's crunch time for the contenders. And and speaking of like injury time, wanted to uh, top off the show with a quick. Hollywood Brown conversation. Uh, Hollywood Brown has been uh, one of the favorites, the golden childs of the TLG podcast. We kind of were singing his praises all offseason. Unfortunately, in that game against the Seahawks uh, yesterday when we were record when we're recording, it happened yesterday, kind of on the last play. Um, he got rolled up on hurt his foot uh, earlier today on Monday. We had heard from Adam Schefter that it was potentially a season-ending foot injury. And then a couple hours later, Ian Rappaport swooped in, saved the day, said, hopefully only going to be about six weeks. So, Trey, Hollywood Brown, probably out for at least six weeks. It's a foot injury. We know those can be a little finicky when coming back, but let's try to you know, catch our emotions, take a step back, think about this for Dynasty. Yeah, so for dynasty purposes, I definitely think this is uh, probably an opportunity to sell Hollywood Brown if you are a contender, uh, just because obviously you're going to miss those six weeks of production. And I think it's safe to say that coming off of a foot injury that's going to cause you to miss a month and a half of action, it's just difficult to say he's going to come back and immediately be 100% in time for your playoff run. So I think it's a good time to kind of capitalize on the success he's having. And, and try to target a contending roster and see if you can get uh, you know somebody else in that range to give you some uh, flex help over the next couple of weeks. Uh, that said, if you're not uh, if you're not contending right now and you are a rebuilder, uh, I'd say definitely put out an offer. Uh, you know Hollywood Brown started out really hot. you know he's a guy who had an awesome target share but never really had a ton of volume throughout the years in uh, Baltimore and we were really seeing him. Uh, you know, flourish with that connection with uh, Kyler Murray. So, yeah, I really like uh, Hollywood Brown as a uh, contender uh, target here with the injury news. 
So Trey says, sell if you're a contender, buy if you're a rebuilder, potentially. What do you think about that? I think that's exactly right. You know, I I feel like it's the perfect scenario for a rebuilder to buy that injury discount. And if you're contending, yeah, this this can't be good for your team. And now I, I will say this is why I like to play Dynasty over Redraft, because Hollywood yeah, is on pretty much every <laughs> one of my redraft teams. And it's just it just feels so bad. But at yeah. least, you know, we're talking about Dynasty and there's something you can do about it. So yeah, uh if you can't afford the the missing the missing spot in your lineup, which you most likely can't because he was a wide receiver one, see what you can get and if it's worth it, do it. Yeah, Mitch, I think uh value wise, you know, he was probably going for like a mid to late first with uh, the way the production was looking through the first uh, couple weeks of the year. Now with the injury news, I think obviously he's got to transact at less than that. You know, I would be targeting something around like a second and another player, or like uh, maybe you can flip him into like a lesser receiver with like a a running back, something like B Rob. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, Brian Robinson. Yeah. Uh, So on one of my rebuilding teams, I actually offered up Gabriel Davis to get Hollywood Brown back. If you're the contender, would you consider that? Like, would you consider the weekly boom upside of Davis, like kind of slotting into that Hollywood Brown spot in your roster? Would you want something more? I think it's fair. It's fair. I'd still be looking for a way to acquire Kirk, um, who's kind of been up and down recently, maybe pair Hollywood and a second for Kirk. Ooh, I don't like that one. I, I think you could probably set if, if Kirk's on a rebuilding roster, or like a middling roster, I bet you could sell Hollywood straight up for Kirk. Maybe. I don't, I don't hate know. that. You might um, be able to get a piece back with Kirk the way like Hollywood Brown has been a top six receiver yeah. uh, to this point of the year. So I, I personally would not advise Mitch. I mean, I wouldn't pair Hollywood with a second for Kirk, but Mitch has been high on Kirk since, you know, week one and two. El Capitan. Uh, I have not been able to get it done either. I haven't, like, people are not selling. And maybe this is, like, uh, fogging my lenses, or maybe that's something else. I don't know. But I I can't seem to acquire them, so maybe this is bold enough to get it done. If they won't sell for Hollywood in a second, then just give it up and try somebody else. Run for the hills. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, speedy recovery to Hollywood Brown. Sure. Uh, he was like a true alpha wide receiver one through those first six weeks. So hope to see him back soon. But let's move on to the kind of core content of this episode. Um, so a few days before week one kicked off, Trey, Mitch and myself, we each offered offensive situations that we'd be looking into through the first month or so of the season. So essentially, we're going to, over the next hour or so, review how six offensive situations have borne out in the first month of 22. And actually, we have six weeks of data. So what does that mean for your dynasty shares of these players? Should you be buying, selling, or holding? You know, what have we learned over these first six weeks? So let's go ahead and kick off this first half, and we'll go to Trey first. All right, so let's uh, start with the Denver Broncos. And uh, this is a team I called out before week one. A lot of people called them out before week one. as kind of an uncertain situation that we really needed to target and and have an eye on. And um, now that we've got a lot more clarity, I definitely want to dig into these wide receivers because I think we've got, you know, a very definitive picture now of what's going on in that wide receiver room. 
with the injury to Javante Williams uh, at running back, you know, that's kind of cleared up any doubt over there as well, but it's just not as interesting as what's happening with the wide receivers to me at least. So Cortland Sutton right now, currently sitting at a 28% target share through five games. He plays uh, the Chargers tonight. We're recording right before uh, that game kicks off. Cortland Sutton is the number one wide receiver in Denver, and there's no doubt now through five weeks. Oh, yeah. And his uh, efficiency has been okay, given how bad Russ has been. He's at 2.3 yards per route run, which is 25th in the league right now. And he's only got one touchdown on the year. But what that tells us is there's a lot of positive regression coming. If you look at his expected fantasy points per game over these first five games, he's at 17.6, which is actually 2.8 points higher than what he's put up on the board right now. So he's currently sitting across the NFL at number seven in expected fantasy points per game. But in keep trade cut, he's down to wide receiver 27 because of how bad this offense has been. Like we've seen it on national TV, Thursday night football, just the inability of Russ Wilson and the Denver Broncos to move the ball right now. And Sutton is just a screaming by to me. I think like if you can get him for a late first, I think at that point, it's like an overpay based on keep trade cut. But I think it's a, a fair deal because what he's going to give you is 28% target share in an offense that we all expect will get better. Like Russell Wilson has never been this bad at any point in his 10 plus year career. Like we expect things to get better as this offense sort of figures each other out. This is a great buy low window for Sutton to me. Yeah. And Trey, like here are some players above Cortland Sutton in the wide receiver ranks on keep trade cut. So Rashad Bateman, he's wide receiver 24. Gabriel Davis, currently wide receiver 22. George Pickens, wide receiver 20. I would take Cortland Sutton above all of those guys. So you could reasonably offer one of those guys plus like a third or a throw in, get something on top of Sutton back according to, you know, what we use for current market value. Yep. So yeah, I think he screams by to me as well. I'd start throwing a 2024 first. I think that's where I would like to like start my negotiations, you know? I like that too. And I think though, if I was contending or actually, you know, I guess if I wasn't contending, I I think that's where the question comes in. Like, would I be willing to pay my 2023 first round pick if I were in the bottom half? I think, you know, you. I probably would not. Exactly. So, and Trey, you said a late pick as well. So now that things are kind of the dust is settling, the contenders are showing up and the the records are showing, you know, where these picks are probably going to fall. Right. Um, I, I think that. Yeah, I, it's tough to to pay up for him unless you're contending right now if you're dealing 23 picks. Yeah, fair point. And, and so for a 2023, uh, or sorry, for a team that's rebuilding, I just, I don't think that, you know, Sutton, given his age, is probably the best target that you should make. But I do expect that his value is going to go up from wide receiver 27 on keep trade cut. So it's really not a bad target for a rebuilder, just, you know, make sure you move an uh, an asset that makes sense for your team and your overall strategy. The other side of the coin here, of course, is his teammate in the wide receiver room, Jerry Judy. Uh, clearly the second fiddle now in this offense. And I think I'm safe to say I'm totally out on Jerry Judy at this point at his price. Uh, so far this year, the efficiency has been pretty poor along with his usage. Uh, less than 20% target share, only 1.7 yards per route run. 
So he's outside those, you know, top 36, top 40 wide receivers. And yeah, he was limited by injury somewhat in weeks two and three. But to me, all the signs are pointing to sell on Jerry Judy. And I think there's a couple of different deals uh, in this range that are, you know, kind of attractive to me. I think you could flip him straight up for guys like DJ Moore, who's really struggled as well. Uh, Dallas Goddard, or excuse me, Dallas Goddard, who uh, we're going to talk about later. Even Amari Cooper, who's kind of having a resurgence of a career in Cleveland that a lot of people are out on. I would flip Judy for Cooper at this point. I've actually done it, you know, in the past. Um, so anyway, <laughs> you could do, uh, again, you could do Judy and a piece for Rashad Bateman. We just talked about him. I think, you know, depending on your team, he's a good target. And you might be able to package Judy in a second for a 2023 first. Keep Trade Cut may tell you that's an overpay. But I think that's you know fair if you can get a, a first and and restock for next year. Yeah, either restock for next year or you know like these aren't static assets. If you totally. go ahead and package Judy in a 2024 second for a 2023 first, even if you're a contender, you're really going to be able to leverage that first for something that's going to help you a lot more than you know a sub 20 percent uh, target share guy and a struggling offense like Jerry Judy. So. Yeah, I, I'm I'm completely aligned here. Like I think wide receiver 33, it sounds like okay for, but if you look at like the actual valuations, right, he's really like very close to Cortland Sutton in value overall, and I just don't think it's particularly close. So like if you can flip Judy plus a third for Cortland Sutton, go ahead and do it. Right. It's just so funny how many times we've zigzagged on this conversation, and I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad that Sutton is showing up as the number one guy. You know, Judy kind of reminds me of like Gabe Davis, except he's on the Broncos. Like if Gabe Davis were on the Broncos, that's kind of what you're hoping for. You're hoping for a couple of big plays to like put his fantasy stat line on there or nothing's really going to happen. In terms of the share of the offense, like I, I absolutely see it, but you know, in terms of like who they are as players, oh, no, you know, totally right. different. They're different wide receivers, people, right? Yeah. <laughs> but the role, you know. Yeah, I know what you mean, though. I, you know, Gabe Davis is always going to be the flashpoint of dynasty fantasy football. Like, if you hate him, you feel like your priors have been confirmed. If you love him, you feel like your priors have been confirmed. But in terms of like points in your lineup, I, I hear what you're saying, Mitch. Like, they're very similar. Like, it's like. The difference is Gabe Davis plays for the Bills exactly. and plays in that downfield, you know, more sustainable boom bust production versus Judy, which is like we don't know if the Broncos are going to show up on a week to week. So basis. let me let me ask you guys if you buy what uh, something I said earlier, do you buy that this overall offense is going to get better from what we've seen through the first month and a half? Yeah, I, I think it will get better, but it's one of those things where it's like. I'm not going to be fully on board with that optimism until I see it, right? Like I it's like we've we've seen 5 weeks, we'll see what happens tonight, but they have looked truly horrendous. I feel you know, like so. Logically though, you know, it's just it's new people on a new team with a new coach and all that like I feel like you have to assume that it's going to get better than it is because it's so bad right now. But yeah. I mean, we've seen Russ like Russell Wilson is not as bad as he's playing. So yeah, well, here's here's the bottom line as far as it goes with the wide receivers. If it gets better, that's better for Cortland Sutton than it is for Jerry Judy because Cortland Sutton is the 28 percent guy and Jerry Judy is the 18 percent guy. Right. So that's right. That's right. Cortland Sutton screaming by right now. 
Love it. All right, let's move on to my first situation that I was monitoring. Before the season started, I said I wanted to track closely the target distribution between the top three guys in Philadelphia over the first month of the season. And this was mostly because I was higher than than consensus on all three of them. And of course, I'm talking about A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Dallas Goddard. Well, we've got six full games here, and this is the breakdown in terms of target distribution. A.J. Brown, 53 targets for a 29% target share. Devontae Smith has 28 targets, and that's good for 23% of the targets. And Dallas Goddard coming in at 20 targets over six weeks. That's about 18.5% of the targets. Now, you know, what this should tell you is that the Eagles really haven't had to throw that much in order to get to their 6-0 record so far. So these target numbers, like the raw numbers, aren't huge. But the these three players taking over 70% of the targets, it's exactly what we wanted to see. Like, so shout out to Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts mm-hmm. for concentrating that offense around those three top, very talented players. But over the course of six games, I think we've got enough data here to see a clear trend being established with A.J. Brown as the unquestioned $100 million alpha. Devontae Smith, he's kind of that high upside weekly play, big air yard share, top 10-ish in the league. And then Goddard, you know, he's got borderline tight end one usage, but he's a very efficient player. So he kind of turns that into more of a mid-range tight end one. So what does this all mean? A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, they've kind of risen in the market to meet where I had them in the preseason, which makes sense given the summary above. And now Dallas Goddard has also gotten to that point as well. Yo, Tark, where where was Keep Trade Cut in relation to your ranks? You said you were ahead of market on all three of these guys. Yeah, that's a good question. So before the season, A.J. Brown, I had him wide receiver three and Keep Trade Cut had him at seven. Devontae Smith, I had him at wide receiver 17, and Keep Trade Cut had him around 27. And then Goddard, I was tight end five, uh, and Keep Trade Cut had Goddard right around tight end nine, I believe. So yeah, it's definitely catching up. Yeah, now Keep Trade Cut is like A.J. Brown wide receiver four, Devontae Smith wide receiver 18, Dallas Goddard tight end five. So they're right where I was, right? And my takeaway is that I'm still willing to buy all these players at cost. Like, remember... What I said is Philadelphia, they have not had to throw that much. I imagine because of how Jalen Hurts has looked when he's throwing, like they're not always going to be in just dominate mode. Like they're going to have to throw a little bit more as we get into the season. You know, it might not be a super high amount of volume, but if they are ever in catch up mode, like all three of these guys got plenty of work to kind of continue this production. Now, I'll I'll buy any of them. AJ Brown, 30% target share alpha, Devontae Smith, you know, he can do a lot for you as like a wide receiver two or a wide receiver three. You, you just kind of have to embrace the down weeks to get the boom weeks for Devontae Smith. And like for a, a payment for Devontae Smith, like could you cash out on one of the big hype rookies like Chris Olave? Like, could you do Chris Olave for Devontae Smith in a 2023 second? I think a lot of people would do that. And Olave, I think I think they're in a similar production tier. And I think you'd just be adding a really nice pick on top of that. And then, you know, that's the receivers. The tight end, Dallas Goddard, borderline tight end one usage, but 
kind of more of like a tight end five or six because he's always been one of the most efficient tight ends in the league. Number one in yards per target, number one in yards after the catch. He's just a really talented player. He's he's getting involved in the red zone, and he started the year around 15% of targets. The last several games, it's been more like 20%. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's very solid for a tight end one, especially in this high-flying, undefeated offense. Goddard, he's my reputation player. I'm doubling down. I'm still down to like pivot off of Hawkinson for him. A couple weeks ago, he had an explosion week, so maybe that's still in people's mind. I would cash in on the David Njoku value rise. I would go get Goddard for David Njoku. I think you can probably get him for like a second and a third in a lot of places because the raw numbers, they're not super impressive. But if you kind of dig into his peripheral numbers in context of the rest of the tight ends, I think he's like the most cost-effective elite tight end that you can purchase right now. Yeah. yeah and, go, go ahead, Trey. No, no, no. <laughs> that was some some well-timed go-aheads there. Well, cut uh, that, cut that, cut that. <laughs> all right. Well, Tarek, I, I think one thing you pointed out is is kind of obvious here. It's like Dallas Goddard is the third option of the big three right now. But anybody on this offense, any piece of this, like, yeah, I, I want to get my hands on it. So Goddard is, is going to get his, like, this offense is going to score points. And... At the tight end position right now, it's just so tough to find any production. And so, yeah, I'm I'm with you, especially on Goddard. Like, if there's some sort of uh, dip here because he's not a top three guy, then... You know, I was uh, looking at this earlier today, but uh, Goddard uh, up in the rest of season ranks on Fantasy Pros is up to tight end three for the rest of season. So I think there's expert consensus, you know, quote unquote mm. expert here on Goddard, but... My experience uh, so far this season in some of my different dynasty leagues has been that for the most part, guys out there are still kind of low on Goddard or don't really believe it just because of like the raw stats and, you know, what he's been able to put up in the box score. But we just talked about all these underlying reasons to like him, you know, the 19, 20% target share, the incredible efficiency, the 2.62 yards per route run so far this year. That's number one at the position again. So the guy is just a machine and really dangerous when he gets the ball in his hand. And looking at the rest of the tight end landscape, I think he's a great target to acquire now because it's going to be very clear when we go into the offseason, like, okay, this guy's 30, Waller's 30, Kittle's getting older. Like, you know, we're going to look at Goddard and be like, this is the future of the position right here. I know he's a little bit older. I think he turns 28 this year, but still, like, um, tight end that's the kind of guy you brand want. New yeah it's the kind of guy you want uh you know going into next season in the offseason yeah would you you guys like kittle or goddard more uh in dynasty straight up goddard i'm still on kittle I, it's been a slow okay. start but i'm not backing down off kittle yeah i think probably most people still like kittle more but i would definitely take goddard like and a throw in like a third or something like that uh to, to, to it's not a bad done. pivot like if i'm like kind of sinking in my ship and i have kittle like then i'm definitely thinking that move so it, it's nothing against kittle but like just looking at the production like this year and last year like i gotta just take off like the the blinders on the brand name recognition here and just look at you know what these guys have put on the field and, and goddard's beating them across the board yeah, uh, let me ask you guys, do y'all have any concern about the overall volume of the offense? Like, are, are you worried that there's not enough 
like raw targets to go around to like have sustainable production out of anybody maybe outside of AJ Brown? Yeah, Devonta is going to have games where he lays an egg and you're just going to have to take your L's there, but yeah. He's not going to be a guy that you'd want to sit ever. Yeah. Like, you know, he's going to be a part of your lineup and it, that's just kind of what you take with a with a player like that. But I'm still high on him. I know you you're still high on him, Trey. I'm sure you're still high on him. Like like I said, a piece of this offense is good in fantasy and you know, it, the most surprising things to me and I know that's not what we're talking about. It's it's Miles Sanders and uh the running game is is going tremendously well as as well. So you know, yeah. any piece. yeah, and because of that success of that running game, you know, that's maybe a bad sign for this offense opening it up and passing it more. I mean, we know that they were one of the uh, they were most number run one. heavy teams in the league last year, and mm-hmm. now they're only up to thirty one pass plays per game. So they're still kind of staying true to their roots, unfortunately, a little bit there. But but the efficiency's there, man. Like yeah, it's yeah. all the good. talent is there for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I believe they still have one of the easiest strength of schedules for the remaining uh, calendar 22. Yeah. Uh, run the table, boys. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, might, it might be hard to uncork that that passing game a little bit. But all right. Uh, that does it for the Eagles pass catchers. Mitch, let's move on to your first offensive situation. But let's do it. All right. In the preseason, I asked the audience what was going on in Utah, but pivoted to Atlanta the Atlanta football Falcons. And the first guy I wanted to talk about was Cordero Patterson. Uh, I thought that he would kick off the year strong and that he would be a good sell midway through the season. But it's the situation is kind of flipped there. Um, I started off with saying that I do think Cordero Patterson is still a buy despite being injured if you're a contender. And I'd be trying to pay a third or two thirds, but deep down I know I'd pay a little bit more. But... I said I thought that he would be getting around eight rushes, eight targets a game in the early season, and instead Patterson just did it all on the ground. He was running back 11 through week three, fed like a running back one, and uh, he was the number three leading rusher in the league, number nine in carries with uh, 49. So um, I don't think that Tyler Algier or uh, Huntley are very good. And I would have sounded a lot smarter if we did this segment two weeks ago when we planned on it. But uh, the statement seems a little more obvious now because Algier has averaged 3.4 yards per carry and uh, put up less than five fantasy points. And he's had zero targets over the past two games. And Caleb Huntley, on the other hand, has looked, I guess, a little bit better. But uh, he split carries with him last week. He's putting up 3.69 yards per carry. So what this tells me is that neither of these guys is going to retain that RB1 workload when Cordero Patterson comes back. And even if they took a little bit of his rushing work, uh, they could ease Patterson back into the passing work. So, guys, I think that if you're making a push, we've seen a lot of running back injuries or mysterious situations, cough, cam, acres. A lot of teams need some running back help. So where do y'all stand on the Cordero Patterson issue here? I, I completely agree. I, I think he's a decent uh, add in uh, for a contender and as part of a package, you know, like I wouldn't, I don't know if you have to like target him necessarily and, and for back up the Brinks truck now that he's uh, dealing with his injury issue, but, you know, going into the second half of the year, uh, the playoffs and having him as, as flex or bench depth, I think is definitely going to be uh, valuable. He was playing really well. 
And, you know, he was uh, looking like a reliable every down starter before the injury. So I like it. So he's going to be coming back or eligible to come back week nine, I believe, because he went on IR ahead of week five. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's right in crunch time for your rebuilding rosters. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right, Mitch. I think Tyler Algier and Caleb Huntley, like they're just keeping the seat lukewarm for Cordero Patterson when he comes back. Like they have not done anything to take that job. Um, despite the Falcons playing like sneaky well over the last few weeks. Um, so yeah, I think paying a third or even two thirds for Cordell Patterson is like a kind of a no brainer move for a contender that would like to bolster that flex depth. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned it, this is kind of a low key wagon here in Atlanta. Like Mariota's playing pretty well and they're winning games. Aren't they like, I think they're up to three and three now. Three. Yeah. That they're not bad. Um, but yeah, I also wanted to look at Drake London and, uh, I I said I had low expectations for him to start the year because he had a knee injury holding him out of camp in preseason and, you know, figured it would take a little bit of time for him to acclimate. And, uh, we wanted to see if he passed the eye test, see if he looked healthy and if he was playing. And one of the things we noted is that London was ranked as high as wide receiver 13 in the preseason. And I thought that was too damn high and noticed a large contrast in his redraft ranking, which was wide receiver 39. So to me, that was signaling red flags. And it just turns out that I was too damn high. I was wrong because London absolutely deserves to be in the top 15 of any dynasty wide receiver ranks. And I think he's a hold right now. If you bought him, Uh, there's not a whole lot to be gained by trading him away, but uh, he's had a couple what like a three game skid now the last three games he hasn't done a whole lot on the field while we just mentioned the offense is putting up points so well a lot of that is due to the fact that the atlanta falcons are throwing under 23 pass attempts Mm -hmm. per game which is like legitimately fucking insane that is an insanely low clip and that's what arthur smith apparently wants to do you know like Drake London is getting 30 plus percent of those targets, but that's not backing into production because it's such an incredible like compared to, you know, the the Eagles who we just talked about. This isn't this is an even other level of low passing production. Yeah. And I, you know, I was thinking about this, like if I were a contender and I had Drake London, you know, um, I at first I thought maybe I would just hold no matter what and expect him to start scoring more points, more fantasy points because of his target share. But, you know, if you wave Devontae Adams in front of my face, I, I might have to consider moving him if I were a contender for an older player like that. So with that said, um, if you're not doing so hot, this might be a good way to pivot off of Devontae Adams. Yeah, I, I, I like before you go on, I really like that deal for a rebuilder. If you can turn Devonta Adams into uh, Drake London, uh, you do that every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tarek, in our co-managed league, uh, you mentioned trying to trade away our DK Metcalf share for London Plus. Um, yeah. I think that was a really good idea. Uh, you basically said DK and London are equal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, DK Metcalf just put up kind of a stinker against the Cardinals in that win by the Seahawks this past week. But he was targeted as a motherfucker in that game. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think like before that, he was putting up enough numbers to where you could probably get a little bit on top of London, especially if the London manager is a contender. And yeah, I think they are essentially the same guy. You're getting a couple years back with Drake London. And 
with the way London has been demanding, you know, targets in that offense, like he is looking like a future, like locked in wide receiver one for like years to come. Yeah. So. I mean, the comparisons were good. Uh, a bigger, faster Mike Evans. I mean, that's kind of what he looks like, man. He He's good. I've seen enough. And I, I think you guys have, too. So yeah, he's a baller. Um, the last guy that we have to talk about is Kyle Pitts here. Um, we talked about the topic in the preseason where I, I just wanted to leave Pitts out entirely because I didn't want to believe that there that there would be an actual buy window for Kyle Pitts. And then they, he started about as slow as it gets. He's 23, tight end 23 on the year, averaging 7.18 points per game. And he actually just got his first touchdown uh, last weekend. So... He lit the the box score up too with three catches and nineteen yards. So, needless to say, it's been absolutely frustrating having Pitts this year. And you know, I think it's sound advice though to suggest holding and holding on tight and hating every second of the ride. But uh, I mean, I've been vigorously trying to trade for Pitts with no success. I feel like there's a buy window. I just can't seem to find it. Are you guys having any success with this or? You know, well, I, I, let me say though, really quick, Trey. I feel like Kyle Pitts. You know, we talk about like liquidity and liquid assets a lot in Dynasty. Kyle Pitts is like not super liquid because I feel like where I have him, I've like I, for instance, I have Kyle Pitts on a contender. I want to sell him for Mark Andrews. Mm-hmm. I can't get it done, even though the other player, the Mark Andrews manager, is not a contender. I can't get it done. Yep. On the other side, I have a rebuilding team where I co-manage both of these teams with Mitch, by the way. Yeah, it was I like, have a uh, rebuilding yeah. <laughs> team where we roster Mark Andrews and we're trying to sell him for Kyle Pitts and we're not able to do it even though the other team is a contending team. So it's just like, if you have Kyle Pitts, I feel like everybody's just dug in on him, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and he's just, maybe that's because he's a classic hold, Trey. I don't know. What do you think? So uh, it's it's illiquid, right? Like people would rather just have pits and be wrong about him than like sell them <laughs> and then like have them go blow up on another roster. You know, uh, I do think that like Andrews should be the clear dynasty tight end one yeah. right now. Like yeah. I think we can mm-hmm. agree on that at this point. Um, yeah. I did go out and and make an offer for pits that was turned down. Uh, I can't remember if the roster was competing or rebuilding, but then I took that same offer and ended up making it for Mark Andrews and got it done. So. Hey, He's pretty, pretty stoked about nice. that. Even better. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, I will um, say, oh, sorry, Trey. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to change the topic. Oh, gotcha. Well, uh, I was just going to conclude this with uh, just kind of piggybacking off you. Uh, every trade that I've seen go down uh, with somebody else acquiring pits, there has been a tight end involved on the other way. And yeah. that tight end has either been Mark Andrews or Travis Kelsey. And I think, I mean, Kelsey's doing work this year too so i I can see that i just can't get in on any of the fun but i'll keep trying the the tight end i was offering was not uh andrews or kelsey so maybe that's why but uh, what what i was going to say was just looking ahead to next year let's say that mariota is not the quarterback right and let's pencil in a rookie here do we think that this offense is going to look incredibly different than what we're seeing now right whether it's the desmond ritter or like a rookie first round quarterback coming into atlanta I think this buy window on guys like Pitts and and even Drake London might stay open through the end of 2023. I know we are, we're not great at predicting the future, but it may get worse before it gets better with some of these guys. So I don't know. I mean, as much as I love London, I love Pitts. 
it's hard to say they're great buy targets right now, too. Yeah, you know what's amazing about Kyle Pitts? At the end of 2023, at the end of his third year, he will be like 23 and <laughs> two months. Right. Like He is so young, which makes it like the window so long, and that's why he's so tantalizing, right? Because once he... W- like once he hits that stride, it's like you're going to have 10 years of a positional advantage, right? I mean, that's that's why when Mitch was saying every time we've seen Pitts moved, it's either been for Andrews or Kelsey is because the reason you roster Pitts is you're trying to capture that advantage over the rest of your league for years on end, right? So, I mean, I you feel like it's a buy window right now, but Hey, I mean, if 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 Trey's prediction is right, maybe it'll get even easier as we kind of move into 2020. Guys, I just I think it's imperative that it's a buy window right now. Uh, And it's because if I buy it before you two buy them, then I have them and y'all don't. Right. Like if I'm the first to acquire him from somebody that's finally been like, all right, uh, I'm going to move him like. I, I feel like there is an arms race and I feel like Pitts is one of those players that like if a, if a sharp player goes and gets them, they're not going to be giving him up. And, and to that point, that's why it's really important to have some perspective and like a long-term outlook here, because we're going to have to be patient with both of these guys mm-hmm. to really see them ascend into that top tier at the positions. Yeah. All right. Mike check. It is halftime. So for new listeners, if there are any of you beautiful people out there, every week in our halftime segment, we each pick our favorite game line of the upcoming week, and I then place a parlay on the four picks together. Last year in 2021, we hit three parlays. You only need to hit two to be profitable. We haven't hit a parlay yet this year. We're 13 and 11 overall picking game lines. We've had a couple of weeks where we got three picks right, so we're getting close. I feel like we're like right there. We're going to capture a parlay in the next couple of weeks. So let's kick it off with our week seven parlay picks. And Trey, let's go to you first. All right. So I'm the one uh, dragging us down right now. I'm sitting at two and four on the year. So take this with the... uh... Uh, proverbial uh, grain of salt here, but uh, I'm I'm betting on the Bucks as ten point favorites at the Carolina Panthers. Uh, both of these teams are coming off of losses. Uh, the Bucks just lost a close one to uh, Pittsburgh, and uh, Trubisky coming off the bench. But this Panthers offense is absolutely the worst in the league. And right now, we don't know if it's going to be PJ Walker at quarterback or Darnold coming off of IR, <laughs> if Baker Mayfield takes off the air boot, we like we don't know for sure who's quarterback. And, but regardless, the Bucks defense is one of the best. And I just think the Bucks bounce back. They win big, especially now that we're seeing Chris Godwin back in action. All right. Uh, my pick for week seven is the Titans minus two and a half hey. at home against the Colts. Yes, Mitch's Titans. So, This is a division game. We know those can be kind of touch and go and unpredictable, but I'm just going with the line, the narrative that I tend to trust well-coached teams coming off of a bye. I think the Titans and Mike Vrabel are a very well-coached team. I think they're disciplined. I think they should be able to take care of the Colts at home by at least a field goal. I mean, that's all I got. I think it's pretty simple. Like Titans at home, two and a half against the Colts. 
lock it in. Hey, he was coach of the year last year. He's not bad. And, you know, Matt Ryan is hilarious to watch. But anyway, <laughs> my pick, the J-E-T-S New Jersey Jets plus three and a half in Denver. I love that they went into Green Bay and they kicked the Packers' ass. Like, Brees Hall is the truth. He looked amazing. Yep. But most of all, they're playing good defense. And not only that, uh, for redraft players out there, they are the number eight fantasy defense and probably also available in your redraft league. Uh, I'd recommend actually rolling them out, too, against the Donkeys in Denver because Russ is just cooking some soft-ass chili and Nathaniel Hackett is a bum. So give me the Jets. I think they're going to win. And I get the points, too. Yes, please. And uh, I'll go ahead and do John's, too, because this was my second pick. Uh, the other, uh, well, <laughs> the stadium's in New Jersey, but let's be real. The Giants are the New York Giants, and they're plus three at Jacksonville. So, I'll, yeah, I like that, too. Jacksonville has been real up and down. The Giants have been uh, insanely, like, I don't know, maybe day balls. Resilient? Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know what the yeah. deal is, but they're finding ways to win games, and I think this is going to be a close one either way. So give me the Giants. Oh, dude, the, the, the deal is Brian Dabble, man. Yeah, man. He is yeah. coaching his ass off there. It's been cool to see. Yeah, the emergence of uh, Wandale Robinson last week was pretty fun too. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like the the Giants pick at Jacksonville. Like Both of these teams that share MetLife Stadium. Like, what is going on there? Like, they are skinning by week by week. They both got winning records. The Giants are 5-1. and one, The Jets are 4-2. and two. So, hey, I mean, let's let's ride the wave. All right, so quick overview. I got Titans minus 2.5 against the Colts. Trey's got Bucks minus 10 at the Panthers. Mitch went with the New Jersey Jets plus 3.5 in mile high. And then John went... New York Giants plus three at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's kick off this second half. Trey, second offensive situation, initiate. All right. So my other offensive situation sticking with the AFC West here was the Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, there was a couple question marks going into this season. Uh, obviously, with Tyreek Hill uh, leaving, there was a lot of vacation targets to go around. So uh Start with the man, the myth, the legend, Travis Kelsey. He has been absolutely amazing this year so far. He had the insane uh, breakout, like four touchdown week, I think in week five, which, you know, ruined. on 25 yards, 25 <laughs> yeah. receiving yards, four touchdowns. That is it's pretty good. That definitely killed me. That definitely killed me in maybe one or two leagues. But uh, I mean, look, for for this year. He's clearly the the tight end 1A right up there with Andrews, tight end 1B, however you want to, you know, uh, sort them like that's where they belong. But mm -hmm. at age 32, if you aren't contending and you have Travis Kelsey on your roster, you absolutely must sell him right now. Like you absolutely have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you have to give your team a chance to accrue value here because it's not going to get any better than this for Travis Kelsey. So if you're not contending, Take a good long look in the mirror and think about what you can get. We already talked about Dallas Goddard earlier. I think maybe you'd be able to pull off Kelsey in a second for Goddard in a first for next yeah, year. Yeah, Trey, now looking back, uh, I, I was celebrating trading Kelsey for a first. Uh, you said I could get more. Well, now if you're, you're saying you got to move him right now, if that first is on the table, you still think it's not enough. 
Yeah. Well, I just, I just gave you one Kelsey and a second for Goddard and a first Thank Goddard's worth more than a second. So you're getting a little bit of that edge there. So you got to throw the second. Uh, in. I like and, it. And maybe move away from the tight end position. Maybe you've uh, got some depth. Um, regardless, you, you got to give yourself a chance to accrue value if you're not contending for this year. Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe like go get a guy like Jalen Waddle, even if you have to like add a little bit on top of Kelsey. Like it. Right. Because Waddle has been kind of struggling the last few weeks without Tua. Like maybe that's, you know, Jalen Waddle, a DK Metcalf, a, a receiver of that ilk. Like if you're not contending, that, I like that, that, that tier that's like clearly better than like a first round pick next year, like Waddle Metcalf. Right. Yeah. Totally agree. Uh, so go to the running back position. You guys will remember I was uh, throwing out that hypothetical before week <laughs> one. Like, hey, don't be surprised if we look up and Clyde Edwards-Alaire is like a, a RB1 through the first uh, four weeks or whatever. And and right now he's sitting at RB13, but that was after the super hot start, the five touchdowns through uh, the first four weeks or whatever. But he's only sitting at RB26 on keep trade cut. Like people actually ab- absolutely hate this guy. So even though he's playing this well, <laughs> I don't really think there's like a big sell window that's opened up either. I mean, we could get into the stats. There's lots of reasons to believe that this is fraudulent production, what we've seen so far. But I mean, value wise, I think it you got to try to capitalize on this and move them, even if it's not as high as we think it should be based on the production. I mentioned, you know, for a rebuilder buying low on a guy like DJ Moore or even Brandon Ayuk, I think, you know, CH could get it done at this point. Or you could maybe go work something out with the Javante manager if they need a uh, little bit of running back help right now. Oh, that would be sick. Yeah, yeah Trey, I, I, about like three weeks ago in for one of my contending rosters, I tried to trade away a 2023 second and a 2024 second for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. The manager immediately rejected it. <laughs> A couple weeks later, I'm kind of feeling like, damn, I'm, gl- I'm glad uh, That's I did right, not dude. You buy for that price. There. Dodged a bullet there. <laughs> Now, now, if you are contending and you've got CH, I still think you got to move off him. And and I like a receiver like Mike Williams in that range. Uh, I, d- I think the Chargers have been a little bit slow to start out for the first uh, month, and I think they're going to get a lot better in the second half of the year. Or use him to go get your guy Sutton, you know, yeah, CEH in a two or something like that. Yeah. Another guy that's come up a couple times in this episode. What about Clyde Edwards-Alaire or Gabe Davis? <sighs> I mean, it's the same... It's the same thing. You're hoping for like touchdown and big play, and, and but yeah, you I'm could a, also I'm, get I'm an more egg. on the Davis side. I'm more on the Davis side, and it's it's just about like what you are hoping for as a Gabe Davis manager. Like as a Ceh manager, on forty to fifty percent of the snaps, you're like really kind of banking on a touchdown, right? Whereas, I mean, you're banking on the same thing with Gabe Davis, but you're banking on it for a player who plays almost every down and has a very particular role with a quarterback that will throw yeah. it like that a few times a game. Right. So I'd rather have Gabe Davis than CEH, but I, I think it's close. I, I just think though, and I agree in a vacuum, but positional scarcity, especially with a bunch of injured running backs this year, Clyde offers that running back position slot. So, you know, I, I can see both sides and either way it's kind of ugly, but uh yeah I, I, yeah I mean it's a more scarce position but there are like players that you can get I feel like for replacement level production and I just rather have like the boom bust receiver that can get me the 25 point week it's just it's 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 
I don't want to go all the way into why I prefer a player like Gabe Davis over CEH. I will just say, like, I would do that. Yeah, yeah and I think I agree with you on that one. Um, I, and it's funny, I do think CEH is kind of like the Gabe Davis of running backs. Uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, let's let's talk about the the last guy on the Chiefs offense here that I want to bring up, and that's uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, there was he was pretty, I think. Um, controversial maybe going into this year based off of like the years of struggles he's we've seen now in Pittsburgh the last two seasons uh following that amazing sophomore campaign uh that he had there with the Steelers but he's really not looking great so far he kind of looks like a tight end out there he looks slow he looks big yeah he looks big and slow, slow. and he's and he's got a less than 20 percent target share so he's really not commanding any sort of volume in that offense either the the problem with Juju is he just scored his first touchdown uh, of the season yesterday um, in that game against Buffalo. So it's not really a sell opportunity for Juju at this point, but he's a guy that I'd be looking to move him if I can get a decent price for him or hold on to him until he gets a little bit more touchdown luck and then yeah, pass him I, off. I, I thought you were going to say the opposite, Trey, because it's like he finally had like a big game on Sunday yeah. uh, when they played the Bills. So I feel like it's probably a decent time to at least put out feelers to sell Juju, especially because I was looking at uh, Cooper Adams, a really great follow on Twitter. He he does a thread every week kind of based on like insights from the receiving usage. And he mentioned that Juju in the game on Sunday against the Bills had like nine points over expectation, yeah. essentially. So it's like, Juju is still like not doing that great. He just had that one big play. Try to sell him. I, I think I agree with that. But yeah, maybe if he gets a couple more than the sell window intensifies in the same way that maybe CEH was over the first few weeks. But yeah. Yeah, it's it's time to start having that conversation for sure. I think there's reason to expect him to have a couple pop games too, just because like Nicole Hardman's having a couple pop games. You know, he's it's going to be different. Like Mahomes told us, it's going to be a different guy uh, each and every game if his name isn't Kelsey. So right. <laughs> uh, I think he'll get his. Yeah. But I, Juju doesn't look like any sort of like, hmm. well, himself. It's weird. His number nine jersey doesn't look like him. But he doesn't <laughs> look like he's going to be a guy on the team next year. And that was kind of the point yeah. that we brought up in the preseason was, well, maybe he latches on and then you have a piece of the Chiefs offense for more than just one year. And right. I don't really see that happening. He looks like a guy on a one year contract prove it deal. And mm -hmm. he's not running very fast. He's not proven. Yeah, much. And he, he he looks like the guy that the NFL thought he was because the only thing he could get was like three point five million guaranteed on that one year right. contract. So there's not much reason to suspect it'll be much different uh, next offseason because he's not. Is not popping on tape, that's for sure. No, uh, sir. It's big and slow. All right, let's move on to my second situation that I wanted to monitor, and that was the Green Bay, the reeling Green Bay Packers, their running back situation and kind of the touch share between the two running backs in Lambeau. So what I claimed pre-week one was that I would value A.J. Dillon pretty significantly over Aaron Jones if it was close between kind of how many touches they were getting and especially on the receiving end. So here's where we land after six weeks and let's see if I will stick to my word. Aaron Jones, 70 carries and 23 targets through six weeks. A.J. Dillon, 73 carries and 20 targets. So wow. very close. Wow. Didn't actually That's raw that. numbers, though. 
I mean, like contextually, it's a little bit more complicated. Aaron Jones runs significantly more routes because he lines up in the slot. He gets more snaps than A.J. Dillon. I think in general, like we can expect to see A.J. Dillon in clock killing time and Aaron Jones in hurry up situations. And if that's the case, what we're seeing out of Green Bay is there's going to be more hurry up situations than clock killing time. (laughs) Right. But I don't think those lines are very clear cut because A.J. Dillon still has 20 targets. He's not that far behind. In the last few weeks with Green Bay really struggling, we've seen both of these running backs lose value on keep trade cut. They were around running back 13 and running back 14 a couple weeks ago. Now Aaron Jones is running back 19 and AJ Dillon is running back 20. So they actually flipped. Now the market is kind of liking Aaron Jones a little bit more. And what that smells like to me is that Aaron Jones is a sell. Because I think if you can get him for Dillon and keep trade cut says that's possible right now, I would go ahead and do that because Aaron Jones is turning 28 in December. He has virtually no touch advantage over his younger running mate. And potentially losing Aaron Rodgers after this year, I think it's like almost guaranteed. Like I will eat the L on that before the season. I said, Aaron Rodgers is playing two more years. He's making too much money, but seeing what's happening now, I think, I think somebody reported over the weekend that it was almost a guarantee that Aaron Rodgers retires after this year. Like nobody (laughs) expects him to come back. I think that is what's going to happen. I think you can like trade off of Aaron Jones for a running back like Miles Sanders, Ramondre Stevenson, Maybe not Ramondre, he's had two very good weeks, but maybe when uh, Damian Harris comes back and that touch share kind of happens again, you can find that buy window again. Khalil Herbert, even CEH, and if you can get like a piece on top of one of those guys, I think it'll make it worth your while. Because, you know, maybe because Aaron Jones is really good, maybe you lose about 20% of the production by pivoting off to like a a CEH or something like that. But I think you can make up for it in other ways with the piece that you get on top or just with like active management. Another guy, Josh Jacobs, I would add something on top of Aaron Jones to get Josh Jacobs, who's much younger. He's playing really well with the Raiders right now. Or pivot to a receiver, Hollywood Brown coming off that foot injury, Traylon Burks, who's injured right now, but was playing kind of under the radar well before Jamison Williams, who should be coming back in the next month or so add a bit to Aaron Jones to get Chris Godwin. I think there's a lot of pivot options if you are rostering Aaron Jones right now and you don't necessarily need the running back production. What do y'all think? I have a lot of AJ Dillon. I don't have a whole lot of Aaron Jones, but I like everything that you were suggesting those are all trades that I would do but I look at these two in a different light even though their carries and their targets are virtually the same I would feel a lot more comfortable starting Aaron Jones in my lineup than AJ Dillon like in fact in a lot of the leagues that I have AJ Dillon I sat him last week because I just I didn't like it same and so you know I've found it difficult trading or attempting to trade AJ Dillon But what that tells me is uh, he might be a buy also, because unlike Aaron Rodgers, Dylan is going to be there next year, no matter what. Like, I mean, that's just the situation. And if Aaron Rodgers isn't there, then I expect Dylan to be even more active uh, next year. So, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to buy low on A.J. Dylan right now. 
And if I'm competing and um, you're waving Aaron Jones in front of my face, uh, I, I would definitely think about that too. So Okay. Yeah, I, I don't hate the idea of it being a prime kind of if you're a contender buy, if you're a rebuilder sell on Aaron Jones. I don't mind that. And it kind of goes back to our Clyde Edwards-Alaire conversation from before. My general philosophy in Dynasty is kind of becoming, and I'll credit Scott Connor for this, who who's now uh, working with Ray GQ. I'm kind of morphing to the, I want to build around receivers and maybe one or two running backs. And then all the rest of my running backs are going to be like replacement level, mm-hmm. high upside handcuffs, et cetera. Right. So Aaron Jones kind of comes into the category where if I have him, I really want to pivot off of him for either replacement level running back production plus like two seconds or something like that, or a receiver like Hollywood Brown or Chris Godwin or Jamison Williams. So that's kind of, just to take a step back. That's kind of where I'm coming from. I think from like an overall health of roster construction, I think that will help you build a dynasty in the long term and you won't sacrifice that much production in the near term. But maybe we'll talk about this more in depth at another point. But I just think Aaron Jones, because of his age, because his production is not like it's not hero RB level. I want to sell. Yeah. And his production, he had the spike week, but it really hasn't been what I think he was drafted as in redraft leagues so far. Right. Because like thinking back to these redraft, um, you know, drafts, he was going like second round, even, you know, third round, but like expected to be a, you know, a major contributor at the running back position. He hasn't really shown it except for the one week. But we know he's basically the most talented player in that offense right now yeah. uh, after the quarterback. Yeah. So he's really good. I'm not yeah. taking that away from and him. And that's I the main Aaron difference Jones. between him and a guy like CEH to me is I think Aaron Jones is just a much, much better player. Yeah. Agreed. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So buy AJ Dillon, potentially sell Aaron Jones, potentially buy him. Um, you know, do what you want. I feel like there's not a lot of resolve there. <laughs> do what you um, feel. Do, do, do what Follow you your feel. Heart. Do what you feel. But th- I think the bottom line here is, and I'll, I'll close out this segment with this: the touch share is right there, right? Mm-hmm. So you have one player who's 24 and one player who's 28. So you know, AJ Dillon ain't no scrub either. Like he's a good player too, for sure. Um, so what would you pay Mitch, for AJD? I think uh, what's AJ his price Dillon? right now? Because like I mentioned, I'm yeah. having trouble. I think we got to move on. We can move. Yeah. yeah. And okay. Well. Quickly, I would pay a 2023 first for AJ Dillon and a 2023 second back. And I think you can get that done. All right, Mitch, go to your final offensive situation. Close us out. Oh, love closing it out in this offensive situation. Dub bears, the goddamn bears. And I, Sure, sure, sure do love staking my reputation on the bad news bears. But anyway, there's questions I had before the season began, like how would Fields look and uh, would Komet play football and how would Mooney look? And, you know, here we are after six weeks. The Bears are two and four. I wanted to know if they would still be alive. And after that Thursday night crushing defeat to Carson Wentz with a broken finger in his throwing hand, a 12 to nine defeat mind you like ah dude it's i don't even think that was who who knows it was just it was a terrible game to watch my memory's trying to block it out but <laughs> i wanted to know like what to do if justin fields looked good or if he looked terrible 
um, just because, you know, he's my reputation guy, and I was going to do my best to hold on tight if he was looking bad because we knew the Bears would have a rough go of it. But my God, it is getting difficult. So I wanted to know if he would have 22 and a half passes a game, and the first three games, first three games, I'm sorry, they were just hiding Justin Fields. They were uh, passing it 15 times a game and uh, just basically handing it off. And then the last three games, the average has kicked up to 23.3 passes a game, but he's still right around last place in pretty much every advanced passing metric. So it's bad. Um, but he's running, and the rushing upside is keeping him afloat. He's got averaging nine rushes for 47 yards a game. He's only got one touchdown, so perhaps we'll have some more of those coming. But all right, and I said after four weeks, after six weeks now, that I would not overreact if he was playing badly. And like I said, guys, it's it's quite difficult for me right now because, you know, I want to say he's a buy. I do. But I'm starting to worry about his job security going into next year. I'm starting to worry about, like, like if he's going to get it done, if he's going to be better than a quarterback 18 um, I don't know. Yeah, guys. I thought I thought Kirk Herbstreet, like I thought he did a pretty good job of outlining what is going on with Justin Fields on that Thursday night game against the commanders. He's basically saying like you see Fields eyes, you see that he like reads the field really well. You see that like when he's able to uncork the ball, he's got arm talent. It's just like he holds the ball too long and he's like not sure of his own talent like he's not sure when a receiver is open like he saw at Ohio State when those receivers were open like when Chris Olave was open at Ohio State it was very easy to see right when Darnell Mooney is open against an NFL cornerback it's a lot harder to see and I think Justin Fields has a lot he's got a lot to develop there but I don't know man I I still kind of believe in him I still I still believe if he can see the field if he's going through his progressions and he just finds a way like let's see what happens with Justin Fields if he gets a good coach and he gets a good receiver like let Justin Fields get his Brian Dayball and his Stefan Dix like I think I don't know I I kind of want to buy Justin Fields now especially on my rebuilding teams yeah I don't think we're going to see a coaching change most likely I think right. we're kind of stuck with Eberflus for 2023 maybe there's a change yeah. at offensive coordinator we'll see and and you mentioned the point about it's kind of hard to see the receivers getting open or when they are open. I can't imagine there's that many open receivers that, except yeah, exactly. for Darnell Mooney, you know? <laughs> so everything we said in the offseason about the Bears, you know, not setting him up for success and and potentially ruining Justin Fields, it, we're just seeing it all play out, you know? So this has gone about as bad as it possibly could have. But I'm I'm with you. I don't know that we have seen enough today to say it's over you know i definitely think the risk is high that you know this is all going to bust for fields maybe we just need to see a few more weeks of this season to kind of come down one way or the other but i think i'm still holding out hope for now as well it's just i recognize the risk is really high yeah and i'm holding out hope i am it's it's just becoming very difficult and you know whether it's the coaching staff failing him with or or even the the team failing him by not getting him receivers you know he's failing too and i, I don't sure. know if like I, I agree i still think he's talented i still think he's good 
but I don't know if that's going to matter. And so like, you know, the process, I, I want to buy a, a good talented player, but that alarm is going off and I'm worried that, and this happens, this happens to players. Like he might not ever be given an actual chance to succeed. And, you know, the running game, that's that's what's keeping him like fantasy relevant. Like he's still startable in a super flex league. So yeah, he is still startable in a super flex league. Let me ask y'all really quick. Shout out to Nelly at analytics spelled with Nelly. He he said, go sell Justin Fields for Kenny Pickett in a 2023 first. I, who Are would do that, that trade? Why would you do yeah, that? Trade? I, he. <laughs> He said, go sell. He said that before the season and then he victory. Oh, gosh. Oh, OK. OK. So we know we would do that now. Kenny Pickett at 23 first for fields. Would you do just a 2023 first for Justin yes. Fields? Like get in yes. on that. Yeah. John you, Robinson? Yeah. Yes. You have to. Wow. Yeah. OK. Yeah. It's it's like it, it is so close to being over. Like you, this value is only like. It's wow. really close. To I didn't realize. I didn't realize we were there. I didn't realize we were there. You have but to be. I, I mean, yeah. Like I, what? I hear what you're saying. There's just no light at the end of the tunnel here. And like, like I, I, I'm with you, Tarek. I want to say I just can't do it anymore. All right, Mitch. Talk about the running backs in Chicago. Well, you know, this the situation is playing out very interestingly. You know, I declared it to be Monty season, not Monty season. Uh, Herbert season when Monty went down week three and Herbert came in and crushed it. And then, you know, he, we, we were going to say like, he probably carved out a larger role. Uh, he had three or week three, he had 20 carries, 157 yards and two touchdowns. Like that's, that's the breakout. And then yeah, shout out Khalil Herbert for doing that when nobody started. Yeah. Right. And, and then Monty, Monty comes back and he's given like an 80% workload again. And yeah. Herbert was given four carries and seven carries the next game after Monty came back, despite having a 6.4 yard per carry through six games. And so because of this, I still think you can buy Khalil Herbert at an affordable price. And this is exactly the type of player that you should be looking to buy, uh, a player that can just totally go full running back one when his number's called. And if Monty's out of the picture eventually and they didn't continue his contract, so he's likely gone. Um, we've seen the this team give 80% of the carries to the running back one. And when Khalil was the guy, he was the guy getting all those carries. So, you know, if you can get it done for a 2023-2, which I don't think you can, but keep trade cut says you can, so give it the old college try. I would try a two and uh, a piece, maybe another uh, handcuff running back. I would do two twos for Khalil. I've said that before. And uh, yeah, he's just a premier handcuff. But Monty, on the other hand, like he's getting a lot of volume. And I, I don't know. I don't think we can knock some sense into the coaches here. They just love them some Monty. So yeah. I can see if you can buy low for a contending team, I, I can see wanting to do it. I, I don't hate it. I hate it. I'd, I'd rather have like Deion Jackson, <laughs> right? Because like no, he's at, done, at, dude. at the cost, at the cost, it's, it's exactly what Tarek was talking about earlier. You just get like those replacement level running backs that can step in and take advantage. Like, I, I don't know. Monty, to you me, know, is Benjamin just, Monty yeah. is chasing volume. Though. He's a, like Monty you know, is a glue guy on that team and the team loves him and he's going to yeah. get carries and that's fine. 
and and I don't have any issue with buying Herbert for a second. I think a second and a third is fine. A second and a second is maybe a little bit pricey. I worry with Herbert, what's going to happen is he kind of turns into a guy like Tony Pollard, where he's maybe stuck in this situation. Maybe they bring back Monty next year. Yeah, probably not. Who knows? But regardless, do you ever see Herbert kind of filling that role as the number one every down guy? Or is he going to be limited by his size? Because he is a little bit of like a smaller dude, right? I mean, this is one of those situations, I think, where it kind of pays or it could pay to just like obstinately bet on talent, you know, because right. it's like you watch Khalil Herbert play and and the things he does like Montgomery simply cannot do them like he he cuts quicker and more suddenly than David Montgomery. Like he gets around guys in a way that Montgomery, he just has to run through them for four yards like the 60 or 70 yard rush that he had on Thursday, this past Thursday, like Montgomery, he simply can't do that. So it's just one of those things where like, I think at cost buying Herbert for a second and a third or something like that is just kind of an obstinate play where you're kind of betting eventually, eventually this guy's going to get his shot, but you also have to be prepared for the eventuality that it's never going to happen at the same time. You know, so I think you just have to go into it with clear eyes, but I don't know. I, it, it blows my mind and maybe this isn't productive to even talk about, but it just fucking blows my mind so much that Herbert balls out. Monty comes back and gets 80% of the workload doing nothing two like, weeks in a row. But then he, his first carry, he goes for 64 yards and they give it to him six more times total in the game. Yeah. Like, what the fuck it's... are you doing? But, you know, and that just kind of wheels it back to Monty's value here. Um, yeah. You know, Tarek and I have Monty on a contender. We've tried to sell him to every owner. Uh, it's everybody hates him. Nobody wants yeah. him. Right. But the thing yeah. is like, you know, he still finds his way into our starting lineup and puts up, puts up points. So, yeah. And, and, and I think this is a good opportunity to Montgomery is an interesting case study because I remember before the 2021 season, when we kind of first started the podcast, I would like constantly say sell David Montgomery sell David Montgomery because he was coming off the end of 2020 where he was like a top five running back but everybody hates him mm -hmm. everybody hates him even after he was a top five running back down the stretch of 2020 he was still like running back 23 on keep trade cut right like no matter what David Montgomery does everybody's gonna hate him so like if you can sell him for like top 15, top 18 running back value, I think you have to do it because on balance, that's just going to be a spike. And for most of the time, everybody's still going to undervalue him. And I value flexibility and liquidity and Montgomery doesn't offer any of that. So, so real quick, I mean, I don't think that it's totally without like reason. Like, I think like hating him is fine when you look at things like his efficiency, like he's consistently like rushing like less yards than expectation. And like, he's not leading in any like juke categories or breakaway runs or anything like that. So we kind of know that he's ceiling limited and he's really just a high floor play because of the volume. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just both philosophies at work here. Are we chasing volume or are we chasing talent? And you have both running backs and, you know, it, it's just 
it's not even a good offense. So no. the one the one thing in Monty's favor is that he might not have to be here next year and he might get a legitimate shot anywhere else and anywhere else is likely a better situation. So um that I can come up with reasons to think that it's a good idea to buy Monty, but at the end of the day, I I think like what's the most that you would pay? I you're not paying a first, you're certainly not doing no. that. Uh, I would pay a second. I would pay a second. I would, I would pay, pay a, a twenty twenty three second. second. I yeah. don't. I don't think you can get that done. But I wouldn't pay two twenty three seconds. No. You know? So it's like. It, anyway, I mean, we have to close out because we've been going over like uh, an hour and ten minutes now. But I will say all those reasons that Trey outlined for why like people hate David Montgomery and his poor efficiency in his play. Uh, might be time to start thinking about selling old Najee Harris for whatever you can get. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's a looking a lot like, like David Montgomery out there. Yeah, uh, he's just got that first round draft capital to insulate his value both for the NFL but also for dynasty. So I would I would look to pivot. Man, Najee catching strays in a bear section. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know me. You know me. All right. That is going to do it for episode 72 of the Long Game Dynasty podcast. It was good hanging out with you guys for the first time in a few weeks. Uh, you know, enjoy Monday Night Football. We're about to tune into it. You guys already know the result, but um, hopefully the, uh, the Broncos, Broncos are going to get, get it back on track. No, dude, they're going to get murked. <laughs> okay. All right. So you heard it here first. Mitch says the Broncos are going to get absolutely murdered. Chargers by a million. See you guys next week. Peace. Goodbye.